Thanks, Andrew. I'll come forward a little bit as well. Morning, all. Lovely to see you. Good to be here. Thanks to Chris and the team for leading the worship so wonderfully. So, um, as we said, we are in this series of If You Want to Be the Greatest, and uh, there is a reason why we are covering this topic at this time. Um, we're conscious as a leadership team, we're conscious as a teaching team that God is on the move in his church, that there are some significant things God is doing in the church in the UK at this time. Lots of prophetic words that have been spoken over this church family, over the UK. We're expecting a move of God, and something in that move of God says God's people need to get ready. There is something about us preparing ourselves. There's something about us getting our, our house in order, getting ready to receive the King of Glory. If you knew royalty was coming to your home, I guarantee you get the hoover out, right? You get the hoover out, you get the duster out, you tidy, you rearrange the furniture, you repaint that wall you've been meaning to paint, you prepare yourself. And there's something in what we're doing this morning, it's about this preparation. It's about a bit of closet cleaning, it's about a bit of purifying, it's about preparing our hearts to receive God in a way that maybe we haven't seen or experienced before. God has elements and levels to him. And sometimes we experience God in incredible ways, don't we? We have those moments where you have a really intense moment with God. But a lot of the rest of the time, it's more of a sort of a journey where God sort of feels like he's, he's there just to the side of you, but not necessarily those intense moments that sometimes happen. Sometimes they happen at conferences. Something happens when you're particularly having a deep or difficult moment and you really draw close to God. God never says he moves away from you. It's more really us us dipping in and out of that relationship as God walks alongside us, yeah? It's really what it looks like. God never moves. We're the ones that move. But um, if God is coming to his church in a powerful and wonderful way, we want to be ready. That's the long and the short of it. And so this about being the greatest, because actually there's a lot of glory that comes when you walk with the God of glory, yeah? When you find yourself in places of power and authority, it's easy to start making that about you and not about him. And so we want to be ready with our hearts to be about him and not about us, so that we carry that glory and wonder of God's beauty well. So, loving your enemies is an important principle. Jesus talks about it, God practices it, and we need to put it into practice. And it's one of these closet cleaning things this morning we're going to cover. So, here we go. If you want to be the greatest, love your enemies. <clears throat> Johnny spoke two weeks ago about power and status, about being last being humble, being childlike, and being broken. And last week, Laura did judge not and covered Matthew chapter 7. Um, you know, look at your measure. Look at your plank. Look at how to bring restoration. And really, ultimately, God is the only just judge. And he's the, uh, he is also the savior and the mediator. That's who Jesus is. So getting those principles back in place in our lives about how we do all those things. The key scripture we're going to look at this morning is this one from Matthew 5 verse 43 to 45, which says this. Jesus is speaking, and he says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There is a principle in who God is that he is good to all, whether they deserve it or not. And actually, in that principle is why Jesus died for us. Because who were we when Jesus died for us? We weren't nominal. We weren't just not in relationship. We were actively and proactively enemies of God. Whether we knew that or understood that or not, it, the Bible says we were enemies of God when Jesus died for us. 
We were proactively against him. Our attitudes, our behaviors, our actions were going against the will of God, against the desires of God. We were pushing away from him. We weren't just nominally walking alongside. We weren't nondescript or non-interested. It was an actual, in our sin, we're proactively going against the will of God and the wants of God and the good things of God. And that's what's amazing about this. So this God has this power that he is drawing to us with. All right. Let's just get some definitions just so we're clear. What is an enemy? Okay, what is an enemy? I think we probably know, let's just be clear, a person who hates or opposes another person tries to harm that person. This isn't just, I've written on there at the bottom, I've written friend, neutral, and enemy because there is an active difference here between being proactively for someone's favor, being that middle bit of like, no, neither way, I don't really bother, I don't really care who you are, I'm not really interested in you, I'm not helping you, I'm not hindering you, and then a proactive enemy, proactively getting in the way. There's um, some uh, dictionary descriptions. Some enemies are spreading nasty gossip about her. The view, uh, his view is that the press was his enemy, that there is an opposition and a pushback that's coming from that individual, that person, that group, that thing that's coming at you. That's an enemy. It's proactively against you. It's proactively pushing back. And that's the definition that I think we need to hold to this morning. I was thinking about how um, op the opposite of enemy might have been ally, because if you talk about when it comes to war, you have allies that are on your side. But so often with an ally, actually they're about their needs and they're willing to align with you to go in the direction, but they're not really necessarily about you. They just also want the benefit of whatever you get the benefit of, yeah? So actually I did, I was going to go enemy and ally, and I realized actually a friend will actively come alongside you for your benefit to no benefit of their own. And that's the key difference here. It's not just an ally, not just somebody who is aligned with you and wants what you want and it will also gain benefit, but somebody who actively pursues you, not for their benefit, simply for yours, out of a place of love. That's why I've got friend and enemy and not ally and enemy. I just thought that was an interesting thing to discover. Love, what is love? If we have an enemy and we're going to love that enemy, what does love do? What is it? Well, the easiest place to go is straight to Corinthians. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. Uh, love does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps the record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Read this sentence and apply it with the mindset of not just my husband or my wife, someone I'm proactive about, or not even my friend and how I might love them, read that sentence and apply it with a mindset of, I'm thinking about my enemy. I'm thinking about my enemy, the person who is proactively against me, the person who goes out of their way to make my life difficult, and this is what I'm going to do to them. This is how I'm going to respond to them. Changes the game, church family. It suddenly becomes quite a step, isn't it? Now it's a little bit more difficult. Now it's more of a challenge. Now it's not even for a reward. I'm certainly not going to get any blessing back from helping my enemy, am I? Is there anything be benefit in helping my enemy? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. We'll discover. But I'm going to proactively apply love to this situation. I'm going to look for their wants. I'm going to look for their best. I'm going to proactively look to support and care for them. I'm going to proactively invest into them whenever I get the opportunity to. I'm going to be patient. I'm not easily going to get angered. I'm not going to keep any record of wrong. Oh, my word. 
Can we not keep records of wrongs against our enemies? Gosh, what would that look like, church family? What would it look like for that bully, that person in your world, that work colleague, that, that boy or girl at school that makes your life difficult? What would it look like to not keep a record in your head of all the times that they hurt you, pushed you, threw something at you, were difficult towards you, told stories about you or lies about you? What would it look like to write the list off, write the list off, write the list off? God, I forgive them. I'm going to actively love them. God, I'm going to go after their benefit. Difficult. Can we move on a slide? Not sure if my clicker's working. Is Caleb there as he popped out? Oh, thanks, mate. All right. First point this morning, and sorry, these are the three things that we're going to cover, and I'm going to now speed up and try and get through this quickly because I'm too excited and I'm saying a lot of my words before I should be getting to them. So, three things we're going to look at. God sets the example. He does it first. The power of loving your enemy and the effects on them and you and who is your enemy and some keys to action this morning that we need to take. So let's look at it. God sets the example. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 11 says, and I'm just going to, I'm going to read the whole of it here, but I've just got verse 10 on there. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if... While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more have we now been reconciled that we should be saved through into life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. There's this initial thing we need to get down. When we, anything that we do, we are patterning it after God. Jesus said, I do what I see the Father doing. So anything that we see Jesus doing, he was copying his Father. And anything we should be doing, we should be copying Jesus, who's copying his Father, or copying the Father, or copying the Spirit, who's copying Jesus, who is the Spirit of Jesus, who is copying the Father. We should be actively and proactively being like God. That's the call on us as disciples, isn't it? And God in his nature went after those that were his enemies and did good to them. He does it first. This is the nature of God. He examples anything that we are meant to do. God doesn't come and go, I'd really like you to love this person who's horrible to you, but you know what? I'm not going to. Like, I'm asking you to do it, but there's no chance I'm going to step on that. I'm, I, I'm too far out of that. It's not my problem. That's not how our God works. Our God says, I'll show you. I'll do it first. You copy me. He's brilliant at this. There is nothing in Scripture that you will find that is an action for you to do that God hasn't done first. And that might sound extreme. Try and find one. You come and you find me and tell me there's something that God asks of you that he hasn't patterned first somewhere in Scripture. You won't find it. Anything asked of us, God's been there first. Jesus is our example. He's done it. He's proven it. He's shown it. And it's out of his nature that we are now being like his nature and being called to be his nature, yeah? That's who he is. God sets the example. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's own life for one's friend. Jesus made a statement about the greatest act of love is to die for someone else. That's exactly what he did in patterned. 
You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business. Instead, I've called you my friends for everything that I've learned from my father I have made known to you. We're the friends of God because we proactively choose to be like him, because we are disciples, because we're choosing to go after the pattern that he has set. But he was our friend first, even when we were his enemy. How mad is that? Even when we hated him and went against him and ignored him and denied him and proactively went after our naughtiness and our sins and our mess and we were wanting to do more of that mess and we thought it would be good to us and we were feeding our greed and our wants and our behavior, we were going against God. He came to look for us. He came to seek us. He came to find us. He came to save us. Yeah? Brilliant. This key scripture that we're, um, <clears throat> we're looking at uh, has in it that God caused the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's just that reminder that God gives the good things of him regardless of whether you're friend or enemy. But there is more for those who are friend. There's more blessing for the friends, but he still gives the good in all those things. So listen, where's the power in loving our enemies? How does that look? What happens when we love our enemies? What happens to them? What happens to us? Does it matter? And what can we do that we're going to gain from this? Or actually, is it just going to be really hard work in some way and too, too difficult to do? Romans has this piece of scripture. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Do not take revenge my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to revenge, I will all pay, says the Lord. Our God is a just God, and ultimately, whatever happens to us or against us will be paid for. It'll be paid for either on the cross when that person comes to Christ, or it'll be paid for in that separation from God when that person comes to the end of their life and is either in heaven or in hell. There is something that will come, but justice will happen. Justice can never not happen with God. So let's say I pray for my friend and my friend who's been my, sorry, I pray for my enemy and my enemy who's been my active enemy doing horrible things against me comes to faith, awesome. Their active actions against me, their sins against me, the things that I've been forgiving them and releasing from them, God now also releases from them on the cross. They are saved, but they are dealt with by Jesus' death. They are paid for because they had to be paid for. Those sins are dealt with in that person's life and they are restored to relationship with God and restored to me as a brother or sister in Christ. And so now we walk together in unity. But the justice was done over those things. Those things were not left undone or not unjustly dealt with, yes? They are justly dealt with on the cross. If I pray for them and for whatever reason, they just never come. They never choose. They never, I, I actively choose my voice and my language to be a positive over them, my enemy, and they, they don't, get to know Jesus before the end, the justice will still be done. Justice will still be done. Justice will still be held to. Justice will always happen because God is a just judge. It's just who he is. Yeah? All right. God will do any, any justice issues. We leave it with him, church family. Yes? Amen? All right. <clears throat> Love can't be stopped Love has no defense. If I actively attack you, you can actively attack me back. 
if I actively love you, but you hate me, what are you going to do? Somewhere in there, actually, it just confuses the whole issue. If someone is coming at you and picking at you and teasing you and annoying you and trying to get you to rile up and come back, they're only doing it to bring you down to their level. When you love back on them, it will completely throw the situation out. They have no response to love. They can try and be more evil. They can try and be more aggressive. They can try and be more hurtful. But they cannot do anything, and they cannot stop love. They cannot defend love. Love has this action about it that cuts right through, and it will cut to their hearts, and it will cut to their minds, and it will confuse them, and it will undoubtedly cause them distress in a positive way because it'd be like, why are they loving me when I'm actively trying to hurt them? Why are they loving me when I'm actively against them? And it's, it's just something the world does not understand, but it is our weapon as the church. It is our way of staying holy, staying pure, staying Christ-like, but actively pursuing that individual in a positive way, keeping that relationship. So far as it depends on me, so far as it depends on you, actively choose peace, actively choose, actively choose to engage. It's an amazing thing. King Solomon, who asked for God's wisdom. Kids, ever know King Solomon? King Solomon asked for God's wisdom. He said, God, make me wise. And God gave him a whole load of wisdom that can only have come from God, because God's the only wise one, right? So all wisdom comes from God. And in that, I found a bunch of these proverbs where he talks about what to do with people that he's finding difficult, as it were, his enemies. And there's a few things that are key in here, because Solomon's wisdom is God's wisdom filtered down through Solomon, right? It's not Solomon's wisdom. Solomon said, give me wisdom, please, God. And God said, here's some wisdom for you. Let's have a look at these. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies at peace with him. When you are actively going the way God wants you to, you're the kind of person that causes your enemies to be at peace. It's in your nature. If your way pleases God, this is an, an outcome. You will cause your enemies to be at peace with you. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. He will deliver you. We don't do it. It's God's. Don't even say it. Don't even say, I'll repay evil. One thing to think it, another thing to put it into action or words. Proverbs 24, do not rejoice when an enemy falls and do not your heart be glad when they stumbles. It's even so far as to go, don't actively wish bad things on your enemy. You could say, I didn't do it, but don't even wish those things on your enemy. And if they happen to your enemy, don't even be pleased. Don't think, you know what, that lass at work who's been winding me up forever, she finally got fired. Amen. Right? No. She's just lost her job. She's just lost her income. She's just lost her security. She's just lost, maybe actually she was very skilled as much as she was a pest to you. She had things to bring and to give. She had product to produce, yeah? And she's lost it. You know what? Feel sorry for her. Have a heart that says, I, you know, where's the email that says, I'm so sorry to hear you've lost your job. You know what? I've asked around for you. I think I've got somebody who might be able to help you out. You know what? And, uh, and then just put, a, put a, a couple of jobs, just, you know, offer things that you can maybe find out about. Look for that person. This person was a pest to you. This person came against you. This person made your life difficult. Chose to, was choosing to, not just was bad at their job. They were coming for you. And even in this moment of their distress, you can be a blessing. You can be an honor. You can be a, a something to show the love of God, to show the difference in their world. Yeah? Don't even make your heart glad when they stumble. 
And if your enemy is hungry, give them bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give them water to drink. You'll heap burning coals on the head and the Lord will reward you. Now, this Lord will reward you, I want to touch on, but I think there's a principle in here about the complexities, and this can look a bit vengeful, this last one, and I don't think it was meant to, and I think when it comes to God giving wisdom to Solomon, Jesus fulfilled the wisdom in the New Testament. Sometimes you take the Old Testament and go, it was the old broken way, and then there's the new way. No, it wasn't. It was the way God had revealed, and then Jesus came to fulfill it. He came to bring it, the story, open more. He came to bring the bigger picture. They had, as it were, some view, and then as we go forward, we continue to see that view expand and expand and expand. Then Jesus comes and expands the view further, yeah? He doesn't take it away. He says, I've not come to dismay the law or dispel the law or to say the law was broken. I've come to fulfill the law and I've come to reveal the truth. I've come to do more with it. And I think this one for Solomon, we can read this and think, I'm going to be really kind to somebody because it's going to do their head in. Yes. And God says I can. I can be mean by being super nice. I can smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. Anyone know where that film's that from? Anyone? Watch characters? Madagascar, the penguins. Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. Doesn't matter what's going on. We'll just go, yes, well done. You know, like, but this isn't an attack on someone. This isn't being vengeful with it. There is something that happens. There's a difficulty the person experiences. They will not know what to do with your love coming at them, especially when they are actively against you. It will be like a burning thing in their head, going, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. I want them to hate me back. But it's not, I think, a vengeful thing, and I think Jesus explains that better. All right, let's look at this. Jesus clarifies and fulfills this story a bit better. In Luke 6, verse 27, 28, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. When we pray for people, we can only seek their best, their salvation, their restoration, their revelation, their good. God won't listen to curses or hate. It's not who he is. It changes our language about that enemy. It causes us to speak life. It recalibrates our attitude and releases heaven in our hearts. And it has a power to command a blessing on us. There is a blessing that comes when we love somebody beyond what they deserve. And I'll show you this blessing here. In 1 Peter 3, verse 9, and I've also picked up verse um, 10 and 12, this is what's written. Do not repay evil for evil for reveling, but on the contrary, bless, for this is what you were called to, that you may obtain a blessing. Bless that you may obtain a blessing. There is an active return for this investment. This is a costly thing. To love an enemy, to love somebody who's proactively against you, is costly, but there is a reward in doing so because the Bible promises. I am going to be like Christ. I am going to actively pursue this person's benefit. I am going to bless because in doing that, I become more blessed. I'm not doing it for that reason. It's just the nature of God. God is a good God who gives good gifts. When we do things the way God asks, we get a response and a return. That's, and then what is that blessing? Well, the, the writer of, of Peter then quotes from Psalm uh, 34, verses 12 to 16, and he writes it in 1 Peter, in verses 10 and 12, and he says this, 
For whoever would love life and seek good days must keep their tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Did you know that the blessing that comes when you bless someone who doesn't deserve it, when you go out of your way to be that blessing, is that the eyes of the Lord are on you and his ears are attentive to your prayers. I don't know how that works, that can be any more so than we already deserve, but somewhere in there, when you walk as a person of holiness, when you walk as a person um, of righteousness, there is something that happens. God hears you quicker and cleaner because you undoubtedly are quicker and cleaner, yeah? That your heart is in the right place better. It's actually not God that changes it. God doesn't change. God is God. We change through the process. When I step outside of the comfort of just ignoring my enemy to actually choosing to pray for their blessing, choosing to put my heart in the right place, I become more like Christ. As I become more like Christ, my intimacy with God, my, my relationship with God gets cleaner, quicker, more open, there's a more open heaven over me because my righteousness is in a better place. I'm in a better place. You know, what separates us from God is our sin. That's what gets in the way, isn't it? God never changes or moves. We're in a season of doubt and, and difficulty, and we're the ones that are drifting down. And it's when we turn and look back to him that we start to do that restoration and, and restoring, isn't it? We walk back into being with God. That's when it gets better. And this is one of the things that we can do to proactively push into God. Talking about this season, church family, the more we proactively clean our closets, tidy our lives, prepare our hearts, the closer we will be, the better we'll be to handle the presence of God that will come on this church family. We will carry his presence with honor, with glory, with his majesty, but we will carry it humbly, we will carry it justly, we will carry it where we will love people who are unlovable and love those who don't deserve to be loved. We will choose to because of who he is in us, yeah? Amen? Amen. All right. Let's run this up. Who is your enemy? Kids. Who's your enemy? Who's your enemy? Who's your enemy? Who's got a teacher that they don't like, always picks on them? Who's that teacher that always seems to think you were a bad egg before you'd even open your mouth? Ever had that? My daughters have had that. Okay. I've got, I've got a few daughters. Apologies to the teachers. Sorry, teachers. I've just spotted you. Sorry, teachers. <laughs> <laughs> who's that teacher that doesn't like you who's that classmate that always points out that the, today your hair's a bit wonky or that your, your lipstick's not good or go oh did you notice you've put weight on and then walks away that's all they say isn't it walk up to you yeah got fatter and then walk off and you're like alright whatever who's that person in your workplace who's that person in your family who's the one who is not out for your best, always seems to pull you down, always has a negative word, always causes you to, when you leave their presence, you take a bit of a sigh of relief, but you also feel a little bit more hurt than you did when you arrived. You weren't built up, you were just a bit more pulled down. Who's that in your world? How about that preparation? Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak life over them today. I'm going to speak life over them as I go into this situation. I'm going to speak life over them as I go back to meet them again. I'm going to pray as I, as I hang out with them. I'm going to speak love into their world. I'm going to choose to actively do it. I'm going to choose to privately do it. I'm going to change my heart and attitude towards them. 
I can't say I've had a lot of enemies. I really can't. Very blessed. Can't say I've had a lot of enemies. A little bit of bullying as a, t- as a teenage boy. And I still had to go back and do something with that as an adult. I had to go back and look at that and go, you know what, God? If I didn't before, I'll do it now. I forgive those individuals. I forgive that season. I also ask for forgiveness because at times I was the bully. I ask for forgiveness, Lord. Because first and foremost, whether I can get hold of that person ever again or not, because we've separated and gone on different life journeys, I want to make sure with you, God, I've just cleaned the closet of anything that's still in my heart that's dealt with. And do that, church family. Proactively do that. Forgive release, request forgiveness, release, find the equilibrium again, let those things go. Maybe there's something in your past, someone that hurt you, maybe you'll never see them again, but you can still be carrying that this morning, something you need to let go of, something you need to let God into, something that needs to be forgiven. And they are not easy conversations. They can be very painful things, but they're incredibly valuable because they'll release freedom in you in your life. Bullies, haters, teasers, liars, trolls. Where did that one ever come from on the internet? I'm off trolling tonight. Doing a bit of trolling. All right, mean, mean girls. That's live, I live with four daughters. Generally, it's a mean girl situation. That's what we most experience. Mean girls, not the film. Jealous, evil, dangerous. Those people that just come against you, those situations. Okay. Let me give you... Uh, oh, actually, can we have a video? Kids, let's look at this. Turn the sound up, Andrew. During the time of Jesus, Jerusalem was ruled by the Roman Empire. The Romans had invaded Jerusalem, and they made life very difficult for many Jews. The Roman Emperor demanded that the people worship him instead of God. Roman tax collectors took the people's hard-earned money, and Roman soldiers bullied anyone who disagreed. Throughout Jerusalem, the Romans were viewed as an enemy. They were hated. One day, Jesus sat down on a hillside, surrounded by his disciples and a large crowd of people. Many of those listening had seen firsthand how cruel the Romans could be, and they listened eagerly to Jesus' teaching. What would Jesus say about people like the Romans? Would he say people should hate their enemies? Would he say they should get even with them? Much to their surprise, Jesus said that they should love their enemies. Jesus explained what this love looked like by giving some examples. First, he told the people, If someone slaps you on your right cheek, let them slap your left cheek as well. This would have been very difficult for the people to accept, but Jesus wanted everyone listening to understand something very important. Love doesn't take revenge. Love doesn't hurt others who have caused harm. Jesus gave the people a second example. If anyone brings you to court to take your shirt, let them have your coat as well. A person's outer coat was very important in Jesus' time, 
For example, the poor would use their coats as blankets to sleep in on cold nights. But Jesus wanted the crowd to understand that true love comes from a deep trust in God. Love will give away things of incredible value, even to those who don't deserve them. Next, Jesus said, If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two miles. According to their law, Roman soldiers could force people to carry their heavy gear for one mile. People hated having to do this, and they would never think of going an extra mile. But Jesus taught the crowd that love always serves others, even enemies, with a humble heart. Love always goes above and beyond, doing more than expected. Jesus was letting the crowd know that they should love others the way that God loves them. Jesus explained that God was like a good father in heaven. God shows his goodness and love to everyone, even those who don't deserve it. Jesus reminded the crowd that God gives his very best gifts, like warm sunshine and nourishing rain, to everyone, good and bad. Jesus challenged the crowd to love each other in the same way. Later, on a cross, Jesus would become the perfect example of God's love. There, people hurt and insulted him, but he didn't take revenge or get even. Instead, Jesus gave away the most valuable thing of all, his own life, as a payment for our sins. Our Savior went the extra mile so that we could be free from our sin and live with God in heaven forever. God loved us first, even when we were sinners. It's amazing. And this is how Jesus says we are to love others. Thanks. I'll just conclude with some keys to action. This is one of those that actually it needs a practical action. There is a choice to make in this. For many of us in this room, we don't really have an enemy. Nothing maybe major, nothing pretty serious that's going on. But we don't know the times and seasons that are coming. We don't know what's going to be coming. I read an amazing story by uh, a lady. She's a Baptist uh, minister from Canada who had gone out uh, to, um, let me get this right now. Actually, you know what? I'll just find the words so I don't get it wrong. She had gone to, where'd she gone? Lebanon. She'd gone to Lebanon, uh, who uh, not long after the um, Syria had, about 20, 30 years ago, Syria had attacked Lebanon. Syrian army had moved into Lebanon. They'd oppressed the people for a period of time. Uh, eventually, they sorted out the peace deal sort of thing. You know, the Syrians moved back out. But since then, there's been a, a huge disturbance in Syria, and lots of refugees from Syria ended up back in Lebanon, but now not as soldiers, now as refugees. And the Lebanese Christians had to proactively now love their enemy. The first time they'd come, they'd come with guns and weapons, and they'd lost family members, and they'd lost property, and they'd lost valuables. The second time, the... the uh, the um, Syrians arrived, they arrived distressed, with no food, no clothes, no resources, and the Lebanese church stepped up. 
and uh, they actively pursued loving these families. They put, in, they put schools on for them. They did meals for them. They invited them in. One Lebanese uh, pastor had a church of 60, ended up being a church of 900, almost exclusively of Syrians. Uh, his brother had been shot by a Syrian and died. And this pastor was now pastoring this enormous group that had now come in desperation and need, uh, providing food, providing schooling, providing clothes. There's another story of a, a man who drove the minibus for the children's work. They'd do two trips a day, and this lady met these people. I got her, it was from a blog that she'd written, so it was a personal testimony. Uh, she met a guy um, who had been traveling twice a day to collect children and bring them to this amazing camp they put on, then drop the kids off in the afternoon, then pick another set of kids up and bring them back. He'd lost his brother because a soldier had, uh, had attacked his brother and killed his brother. And now he was loving on the children of his enemy. He was singing songs over these children. He was hugging these children. He was driving these children on their bus. He was proactively going out of his way to love the children of his enemy, as it were. You know, to break a barrier down, to turn it around. To turn around in one generation the opinions and stories that people had. One nation hating another because what it had done, now turning into one nation loving on another and turning around the stories. Revenge just becomes revenge that becomes revenge that becomes revenge that becomes a revenge. How do you break that? You break it by putting in love. It was no longer about revenge. Now it was about restoration. It was about rebuilding. It was about the care and the love. See, this is, this is what this one. This is the one, church family. Loving your enemies. We know we need to love strangers. We know we need to love the lost. We know we need to love those who don't know God, and often they're just benign to us. They may be a friend or a colleague or a stranger in the street. This is the one. Love somebody who is proactively against you. Love somebody who's out for your worst. That's the one that's going to change your heart. That's the one that's going to go the deepest for us, yeah? Amen? You see it? All right, here's your actions. Do you have an enemy? Forgive them. Speak blessing on them. Ask for more of the love of God in you towards them. And what can you do to be intentional? Show them love, pray for them, seek God's goodness and blessing on them, pray for their salvation, look for ways to be good towards them, and as much as it depends on you, seek peace. Can we pray for a moment, church family? Uh, band, if you want to come back up. Let's do a bit of business with God this morning. This is one of these preparation things, because whether it's happening now or whatever's going to happen in the future, let's have our hearts prepared that we can deal with this, that when an enemy comes against us, we're ready with the love of God. We're ready with the right understanding, and then we're ready to proactively put it into place, yeah? We're ready to do it. All right. If you're, mums and dads, if you're with your kids, ask them this morning, just take a minute, ask them, is there someone that's been is difficult in their world. Maybe they've got a bully. Maybe they've got a friend who just isn't that good a friend. Maybe they have got a teacher that they find difficult. Maybe they've got a family member that they don't get on with. Maybe it's their sibling who sat next to them in this room this morning. Maybe it's a brother or a sister that they don't like so much sometimes. Yeah? We've all been there. All right. I used to battle my brother. Oh, my word. And then my mum would clobber us both to teach us. All right. Not saying that either. All right. Okay. Church family, let's do some business. If you've got an enemy, if, you could, if someone's coming to you, you know how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit's given you a face or a name. It's popped into your head. You've suddenly remembered. Maybe it's in the past. Maybe it's current. Let's release something over them this morning. 
and it works in the spirit. They don't have to be here. You don't even necessarily have to find them again, although God sometimes does that thing where you suddenly bump into them. They come across your past, or they send you a Facebook post all of a sudden going, hey, do you want to be friends on Facebook? And you're like, ha-ha, I didn't, but the pastor just said I should, so now I'm going to have to, all right? These things, God sets you up, doesn't he? He knows what's coming. All right, let's prepare ourselves. Father God, this morning, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be a people that love the lost, the lonely, and the broken, because we know that's good. But we want to love our enemies like we love ourselves. We want to love our enemies like you loved us while we were still your enemy, that you died for us and gave it all even while we hated you. Lord, now the people that hate us, we forgive them. The people who have hurt us, we let it go. We do not seek revenge. We do not seek our benefit out of this, Father God. We simply want to see them blessed. We want to see them glorified. We want to see good things in their world. We don't gloat or we're not pleased when their lives go bad. We want to see them blessed. Jesus, we want to see you break into their world. Holy Spirit, we want to see you come and convict them and release them and bring them freedom. They are hurting people. They are broken people. They are lost people. Father God, we want to see them come into life and we want to have them restored to us as a friend and a brother and a sister in God. Lord Jesus, we want to go out of our way to love our enemies. We want to be like you. And this morning, our bullies, our trolls, our haters, whoever they may be, kids, our brothers and sisters, our mothers and fathers, whoever we've been battling, we forgive them and we ask for the restoration in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thank you, church. Thanks, Chris.